Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Anand Shahi. He is president and managing partner at Bar Capital. He's also co-founder and managing partner at SparkNet. Anand has been on the program before. If you've happened to catch that episode, we talk a little bit about Bar Capital and what they've been doing in cannabis for quite some time. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the new efforts they have. We're going to talk about SparkNet, really what's driven that and uh, why do that now. And we're going to talk about the cannabis industry. Anand and his team have some really interesting insights and purviews into many aspects of cannabis and the various markets and seeing kind of where, you know, where things are shifting, where the deals are happening, where they're not happening, what's happening with the success of some of these businesses and some interesting things. Hopefully we'll, we'll have enough time to at least touch on some of it. We, we could probably spend a couple of hours <laughs> going through each market, but hopefully we'll get some good takeaways on this. So with all that, Anand, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. It's uh, wonderful to be back. Uh, always yes, yes I should say, welcome back to the program. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's always great to have a conversation with you in general and, and always great to be on the podcast. So thank you. Yes. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to have you have you back. Before we kind of jump into updates on Bar Capital and what you're doing with SparkNet, just give people a, just a quick reminder on background, how you got into cannabis, what your focus is, what you do. Give us a little of the backstory. 
Sure. It's always uh, fun to do that. I'm, you know, Indian by background. I was born in India, lived in Europe, came to the U.S. in high school onward. So culturally, me being in the cannabis space, definitely an interesting journey to get here. Usually folks in my family are doctors or lawyers or, you know, finance people as I was traditionally. I'm a CFA, you know, very much in kind of the hedge fund space. Previously, I decided to launch my own firm, Bar Capital. This is going back now to 2017. And at that time was just having lunch with a with a former boss of mine, really, and, and, and a mentor and, and now a business partner. And he mentioned he was investing in cannabis, which really piqued my interest. And I started to look at the space, ended up traveling across the US and Canada, across Europe at various conferences, really diving in deep and forming a network and then eventually becoming a speaker and advisor in the space, even went to Israel for Canatech a while back. And in that journey, realized what a great space it is, uh, that the people involved operationally in the space are very much driven by purpose. There's a lot of veterans uh, from other industries now that have entered the space. So I'd say over the last four, almost five years now that I've been actively investing and advising and helping companies it's been a great journey and it continues to to be that way. So that's kind of my short version of, of how I ended up here. Yeah, yeah. There's always a story. There's always a story of how people end up in cannabis. Give us a quick background on Bar Capital and then tell us about SparkNet to give us the kind of the origins of, of both of those and, and how they relate. Sure. So Bar Capital evolved into a investment bank to help emerging cannabis companies and established players really grow. And our purpose continues to be to make cannabis as common and culturally accepted as aspirin or alcohol. That's how, how I describe it in a short form. So giving people access to something they can choose for medicinal use or recreational use. We don't give it investment advice. We are uh, registered through, and all of our members are registered through a broker-dealer, Finalis. And in that space, what we've done is really help connect the dots. So for example, typically there will be companies that are, say, say for example, a brand that's in cannabis. And they're looking for both capital to help them grow as well as introductions to new distribution channels. Mm -hmm. We have a network that spans, I'd like to describe it as almost everywhere except not really in Australia yet and, and, and not in Antarctica. And those are the two places we don't really have too much going on. The, gro uh, the growing season in Antarctica yeah. is very, very short. It's very short. It's very short. So we have active distribution partners as well as family offices and institutions that invest that span North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. I'd say those are the main areas that, that, that our investors come from. And, and the companies themselves, they interact with us not just simply to be a placement agent, but really to tap into that network and get that access point. I can tell you more about SparkNet, which is, which is really an evolution on the technology side. So you can approach the space and say, hey, we've come up with a tech-enabled platform and try to get subscribers or do deals on that platform. That's more akin to the crowdfunding model. We are not that. We have established these relationships and got to know who are the legitimate players, who are the people that are experienced management teams that are growing and doing the right thing for their investors and the other operators and ancillary providers in the industry that support the growth of these companies. And really, we've just used SparkNet now to give them all an access point to be able to see into our world. And so, so SparkNet is a private accredited investor only 
network where we have invited the people in our network to use it along with new users that come in that are accredited and uh, they get to see in a very clean and easy to follow way the deal information so the deck the data room with the financials they get to ask the listing entities the questions on what exactly they need answered in their due diligence process as well as a way to transact so investors can when they decide to invest follow a very easy e-signature format and be given all the pieces of information they need and, and be able to do it right there. So everything from initial review all the way through the final transaction can be covered in SparkNet. Got it. And, and I know since we're dealing with uh, investments and credit investors and things like that, we need to be a little careful. What is, what is the disclaimer that we need to give before people take too much of this information and, and use it? Really, the process to get in, unless you already know us, is curated through an interview. So we ask the questions both in a form to confirm that the person is accredited before they can get into the platform, as well as most of these are referrals from existing accredited investors that have transacted in a lot of these emerging industries that uh, and, and high growth industries that we cover. So disclosures, I'm happy to provide for the listing of your podcast on the website, but really it's, it's an invite only group. So when new people come into that fold, our admin team goes through the process of asking and making sure they're certifying they're accredited. And at the transaction point, there is actually a more detailed process to confirm that. So it's, it's really a closed loop. And, you know, we spend a good amount of time making sure we check off all the boxes to make sure the right people are operating inside the uh, environment. And, and this is just SEC requirements around who can invest in what and making sure that people are well informed and, and able to make these investments. Sure, exactly. You know, the, the people who are on the platform really need to be fitting within the definitions that the SEC and, and FINRA enforce and the accredited investor side. And we make sure we go through that process on our end and do the steps that we need to do. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, why do this now? Like, what, what have you seen in the market or what's kind of happened, matured, evolved in the market where this is now an interesting play for you or, or a needed sort of tool facility for, you know, helping grow cannabis? That's a great question. When I first entered this space and started investing in companies, what kind of bothered me is capital going towards the wrong endeavors, really, to put it simply, and being wasted. Unfortunately, the regulatory environment for the cannabis space has stalled. You know, there was a lot of excitement in the last elections and, and you know, different proposals kind of put forward. But really, there hasn't been too much progress. There's, there's work being done in the background, but publicly, other than new states coming online, there's no solution yet to banking, for example. Uh, there's really no federal level comprehensive way to deal with it. So what's happened is a lot of the West Coast and West-based um, cannabis cultivation and other operators, they've really been hurt because there's now a difficult tax environment for them. They get taxed very highly. The black market has continued to sell high-quality product at a much lower base because they're illegal and they don't have mm -hmm. to pay taxes. Yeah, um, exactly. and, uh, and, and so that's really caused issues for the legitimate operators, unfortunately, and so where we now see opportunities oftentimes and lessons learned is we, we're trying to help the companies in the West Coast become more efficient. So we, we cover within SparkNet and, and with Bar Capital in the background facilitating the transactions, we cover equity raises, debt, 
as well as M&A. So in the West Coast, what we're seeing a lot of is roll-ups. So smaller players getting bought out by bigger players or uh, new family office entrants buying up operations that are in California, etc. A lot of the infrastructure has been invested in. So there's quite a bit of cultivation capacity that's there. It's just oversupplied because you can't ship that out of California, for example. So that's what we're seeing on the West Coast. On the Midwest and East Coast, we're seeing more new endeavors and players from the West Coast that have been profitable or do have a stronger capital base entering these markets and looking to enter where there's limited licenses, for example, or where there's clear distribution channels if these are brands. So we often end up advising some of these companies to enter those markets as well as helping investors find opportunities in those markets. So Chicago, for example, is a great market, very good margin profile there. The licenses there are worth quite a bit. The other thing I'll mention about SparkNet actually is we want it to be a marketplace for licenses that are available in the industry. You'll find sometimes people winning licenses but not really having the team and the resources to develop the license. We're happy to help them find a, a buyer in those situations. I'm curious. I have a bunch of questions, but I'll start with the, just the license one because I know this comes up. Like Because of all the requirements on licenses and you know what you need to do to get a license, when you do a license transfer, what like how transferable are they? What are the requirements? What requirements kind of stick along with the license? What, what dissipates if you're going to resell a license? Is this all state by state, I'm assuming? <laughs> I don't know how complicated that gets, but I'm curious on that one. Gets, it gets plenty complicated. And that's why, you know, over the last four or five years, I've fostered and my partner as well, Charles, we've fostered really good relationships with legal teams in each of these key states. Obviously, I'll say this, the core theme I'd say across the states is that if you're a buyer of this license, from the regulatory point of view, they don't want it to be somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, right? If you're going to sell to another entity, they should be at least as viable as the entity that won the license in the first Mm -hmm. place as somebody who's going to develop that license and actually make it profitable. So I'd say that's really the common theme, but it gets nuanced state by state and type of license, you know, if it's a craft cultivation license versus a retail license. So we kind of rely on those relationships with attorneys to sort out the transaction and make sure it's done step by step so that the result is a, uh, a valid transaction. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. For the California stuff, or I guess maybe, you know, in general, the, cha- the shifts and the changes that we see going on in cannabis, is this just kind of the natural kind of evolution, maturing of an industry where there's some, you know, consolidation, some bigger players come in and start streamlining operations? And how much of this is driven by kind of the situation in cannabis and some of the regulatory changes, tax changes? Like how much, how much of this is really unique to what's going on in cannabis versus this is just a general evolutionary process for any industry? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. It's so tricky in the cannabis space because it's all about timing and how long you can last at this point, so far to this point, you know, there's, I'll give an analogy. It's like um, quite a few international airports have been built in the cannabis space really, but they serve a domestic market. You can't leave the state. And so therefore, you you could have a really good operation. You could have really high quality operators that do a great job and, you know, deal with 
different viroids and other issues that the plant could get and they've figured out the right amount of irrigation and, and you know they can do x number of harvests per year and really get as much out of the facility as possible but even if you are kind of a black belt team it's still difficult because you have so much competition and the pricing is very difficult so when you have these phases in the cannabis market there's times where you can raise a lot of capital when the public markets are doing well on the cannabis side and there's a lot of momentum and interest and then people deploy that capital but if they deploy it too quickly or expect that demand to keep up with the amount of supply going up Many times it's a very difficult situation, even though the asset itself is a very good one. So you have these other phases where things get a little more distressed and people who do have capital and see the value can buy the business with the operating team intact. So that, that's the good news is a lot of the operating teams want to continue doing what they were doing. They just don't mm-hmm. have the deeper pockets to outlast kind of this phase where there's regulatory uncertainty And once those things start to line up, these assets will do quite well. And you will eventually in these types of markets have a certain amount of supply go offline because those businesses didn't survive and their investors said, hey, I'm tired of cutting the check to keep you alive because I don't see an end to this yet. And so then the supply constraints, just like it does in the CBD hemp market too, you know, I think we're going to see a turnaround in that market in terms of pricing for the raw materials later this year, potentially. Because a couple of years ago, everybody was becoming a hemp farmer, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you know. So that would be kind of my approach to answer that question. Yeah. And, and I mean, with, with California, I mean, it, yeah, I, I get there was some changes in the taxation and how things were going to how things kind of impacted you know, various segments of the industry. There's also a huge glut in production. You had outdoor grows coming in, flooding the market. I mean, how, I guess, how sort of dominant are the forces in these markets in terms of really what swings, you know, the success or the ability to operate successfully versus how much of this is just, you know, a perfect storm scenario of a bunch of factors coming in at the same time. I'm just kind of curious, like when you analyze it, it's like, oh yeah, that really is the driving force or eh, it's tough. It's tough to tell exactly what's driving this, but this is the situation we're in. Yeah, no, again, a great question. So that's one of the reasons we created SparkNet is we have a submission portal. It's just submit.sparknet, you know, sparknet with two T's at the end, dot com. And we get many, many submissions across equity, debt, M&A. And what I've noticed is in the in the kind of the California and kind of West Coast market, you'll get five or six at least submissions for entities that are looking to refinance debt and then potentially sell their business for every one that's kind of doing somewhat of a growth or expansion raise, you know, within California, or they're going from California to a new state where they have better margins. So they've established enough of a business in California where they're stable, but now they're not looking to really grow too much there unless it's a easy tuck-in acquisition that they can do in California. So in terms of the numbers, a large majority is kind of looking to refinance debt, I would say, because that's yeah. that's been tricky. Now that becomes difficult in a difficult market to, to refinance debt. Then, then the next phase is they're looking to sell. And then there's the, the buyers. Those are the really interesting ones because they've managed to figure out the right mix. And now they're poised to really take that experience and go into markets where it's less competitive currently. And they're poised to go in and they've all applied for New York, New Jersey, you know, Illinois licenses. And now they're starting to receive some of those. So they're they're really going to help hopefully make the Midwest and East Coast 
uh, more experienced market for the long term, given that they've been dealing with a lot of the issues in the West Coast and have you know managed to get through those. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned Chicago, the Illinois market, and then you mentioned New York, New Jersey. I mean, what what are the markets that you're really looking at? What are the interesting things going on in terms of the kind of evolution of of the cannabis industry in the U.S.? Sure. So we we also are about to launch special purpose vehicle SPVs, which basically focus on more curated and specific opportunities in the markets. And so I'd lay out those markets kind of as follows. Now, we, we don't really turn away a deal just from a geography point of view, because there might be an interested buyer in our database and, and kind of distribution list, which is kind of several thousand strong uh, currently and growing. So we tend to focus on Illinois, Michigan, currently in the Midwest when it comes to the SPV opportunities. We focus on New York, New Jersey, although you know there's more of a wait-and-see environment to some degree on when these licenses are actually getting issued. And then we like Massachusetts and Florida as it's kind of going, hopefully eventually from medical towards recreational. So, so those would be are, you know, kind of Midwest and East Coast picks. And then, you know, there's also great markets like Arizona is doing quite well. And we know folks in Nevada that have done quite well. So we don't really rule anybody out. But really, when it comes down to the SPV, where we're going to be setting up a very specific theme, and there's there's anchor investors that are going to be going into those because they've kind of requested a deal flow from these areas. Those are the states in the Midwest and East Coast that we're, we're mainly looking at for the moment. And, and what makes them a good market? I mean, what, what are you looking for from an investment point of view? Like, what are the either structural things about the market or the nature of the companies you're looking at in the market? What, what's important for you at this point? Sure. So, so a few factors. Many times, the first kind of layer at the high level is either that it's a limited license state or there are certain kind of barriers that an entity has to kind of get to, to access the license in that state, as well as high demand and kind of concentration of population. Those, those are some of the geographical slash high level requirements, which most of these states, we focus on more of the urban areas a lot of times and access to those markets, as well as the tourism market, which can be very strong for places like New York, New Jersey, you know, that's, that's going to be coming in, especially I'd say New York. Then the other layer is the management team. So when we do an SPV, we're interested in people who have done this before at scale and done a great job. It's not a situation where we are, you know, we're happy to feature people who are raising money and doing it for the first time in these markets because we want to give access to capital for those folks. But many of the folks that we work with on the SPV side are really experienced operators that are uh, folks that have run the capital side, that they've been managing funds that have invested in, in such operations, or they come from a strong agricultural background and they've actually applied to cannabis. And so really, those are the main considerations uh, that help us pick those locations. And you can see that. It's, it's a very interesting thing. I'll mention something about the valuations in the space. There's no database you can go to and type in an Illinois retail license and you'll get a value for that license, right? It's, it's very much a illiquid, difficult to navigate space. And that's why Charles and I, you know, we, we consider ourselves kind of Sherpas into this market and it comes down to understanding, like a Chicago license is worth a quite a bit more than a kind of more rural Illinois uh, license. And it could be very different than a retail license in West Virginia, for example. So those factors really come into play. So you have to kind of know 
where the demographics are and where the demand is going to be. And so the experienced folks have already done that research and have that data and they know how it's played out in kind of the West Coast and the, the, the more mature cannabis states. And so now they're applying it and I think they can get a lot more kind of volume in the East Coast and Midwest locations that they're looking to do it in. Yeah. I mean, is this a kind of beauty in the eye of the beholder? It kind of depends on who's going to buy it and what they can do with it and, and maybe what they bring to the table that either, you know, increases or, or compounds the value that that license might have. Exactly. You know, what's happening now, and, and so I'm actually asked sometimes to advise some of these ventures where you can come up with a basically a private MSO uh, in, in some of these situations. You know, the public multi-state operators, they got their, they were able to develop and build their companies earlier in the cycle. And so now they're the, the bigger players in the space. But you can have a very nice, highly profitable, smaller organization that doesn't have to deal with all of the kind of headaches that come with being a public company. And let's let's remember, they became public companies quickly because they needed the capital and not because they wanted to necessarily be, you know, public companies uh, too early, but they it was a race for capital and, and then to, to grow faster than your competitor. But you can have a really nice private MSO situation where, say, you're just operating in Illinois, Michigan, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and you can use the same tech stack and the same kind of core back office operating resources for that business. And you can have a couple of folks that know how to take care of the agricultural component, a couple of people that know how to take care of the branding and, and distribution component, and really apply it in a closer regional approach. And there's a plenty of capital interested in that. Yeah. It seems like there's so much potential shift in the cannabis market over the next you know, a couple of years, certainly, you know, if you look five years out, right, we're potentially dealing with federal legalization, we hopefully we get some changes to the Banking Act, right? Like, there are a bunch of things that are really going to potentially shift this market. Like, what are the key things that a company needs to kind of be positioned for or be ready for when you're looking at what might be happening in cannabis in the coming years? Sure. Great question. It's It's such a dynamic space that, you know, I've been in the space now for about five years. And if you ask me where things would be five years ago, I would not have predicted uh, most things correctly, quite frankly, because things have some things have moved faster than I expected. Some things have moved very slowly. So I, I think in terms of the key areas to think through, there are people who are more globally focused and people who are more uh, locally focused. And I think you can do well in both. But if you're more globally focused, as in if you and by global, I mean, you know, you, you could be in. Connecticut and, and New York, and, and if you cross state lines, you're global yeah, you know, yeah, as a cannabis company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I think if, locally focused, if you're a less experienced player, but have something of quality that you're able to create a core consumer demand for, and if you're, you know, say, a brand, or you're able to kind of see that your product's doing very well and focus on one area and not go too big too fast, that model will work. It's going to be interesting to see how, as regulations evolve, if they're going to allow for cannabis to be shipped across state lines or not. That's one of the biggest questions, because if that is allowed, then I think California bud is going to go everywhere, just like in the black market, right? And and, So I don't know if that's going to sit well with folks in the Midwest or East Coast in terms of, unless there's some sort of tax revenue 
sharing off of that right interaction otherwise yeah. Yeah. everybody's going to have their fiefdom and they're going to want to only promote yeah. and, and and let's not forget the other aspect of this which is social equity and and creating opportunities for the minorities and, and and the opportunities those folks will have to build out their business if if you all of a sudden open the floodgates and the market is now crowded even more in the supply side those initiatives are not going to do well so you know carving out a space is very essential for that and i think it'll also translate into these states wanting to control their own tax bases and hopefully they'll lower the taxes but they'll still want to collect more taxes than importing in the cannabis from somewhere else. Yeah. And what are the big things you're looking at? I mean, I'm, I don't know what your thoughts are on <laughs> the changes to the Banking Act, federal legalization, anything that you're kind of uh, prognosticating in terms of timing or what you're kind of advising companies or suggest companies kind of use as assumptions uh, around some of these big shifts in the market? I think, you know, given the world we live in today, even beyond cannabis, it is very difficult to see what's coming next. You know, we basically talk briefly about geopolitical situation, but, you know, we've seen this big shift in Europe and kind of Russia turning back into having a iron curtain between it and, and Europe. And that's going to change the wheat supply, right? And so now Ukraine is looking to talk with Turkey and uh, try to get some wheat shipped out because that's crucial to their economy. So, you know, I really give advice on specific ventures within the space and kind of the, the trust there is that the federal regul regulators, which I'll kind of say a little bit uh, in jest, you know, will always screw things up first, but hopefully we'll get things uh, right in the long term. And I do have faith they will figure out how to get things right in the longer term. So you can't really... I'm not the expert on the political and the regulatory side, but I know those experts. And so I just call them up when I see things shifting and they kind of are advisors to me on what's happening in that space. But they don't really know what's going to happen, right? It's all very politically um, motivated as well. And, and, uh, and all these folks doing the regulatory side have to be careful. They don't blow something up and get blowback and pushback from the left as well as the right. So I think if you have a strong focus on the business, you have a great management team, or you have the ability to tap into good resources. And things like a great accounting firm or legal firm as you grow are so, so key, or, or a great hiring, uh, recruiting firm as you grow are so key to success that you really kind of have to focus on that and hope that the regulatory side improves because it can't really get too much worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tempt it. <laughs> don't tempt it. <laughs> Anand, this has been a pleasure. If, if people want to find out more about Bar Capital, more about SparkNet, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. You can visit www.barcapital.com. And SparkNet really doesn't have a very big public facing side, but if you'd like to submit a deal or uh, apply to become a credit investor user, on the platform, you can visit www.sparknett.com. That's two T's at the end. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Great. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. Really appreciate your time. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, 
Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.